A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Two Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And today we'll talk in our Malava Malka episode, the latest Malava Malka episode, a little bit about the great dynasty, the great Hasidic dynasty of Radomsk, a somewhat uh, forgotten a dynasty that was completely decimated um, in the war. Now, on, on the trips we take to, to Poland, the groups, so Radomsk is always an exciting stop. We don't get to that on every single trip, but we, I try to bring uh, groups there as often as possible, especially the last couple of years, there's a newly built Hachnosas Archim there. Someone took the trouble to build that, and if Hachnosas Archim, meaning it's like a, 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 nice, a nice place to go into that's near the Jewish cemetery, there's... There's a nice bathroom and a, a base medrash with, with the sfarim, with the Sefer Torah. There's a mikvah there. There's coffee and drinks and usually some snacks there. In other words, it makes you feel welcome and at home. And, you know, it's quite common to have these hachnas welcoming places in, in, uh, in the Ukraine, in Galicia, in the southern part of Poland and in Hungary, and there's none in Poland. Poland is in Greater Poland, what's called Greater Poland, Central Poland, what used to be called the Kingdom of Poland, also had a very funny name. It was called for many years Congress Poland. Why was it called Congress Poland, by the way? It's a totally random fact. <laughs> because that area of Central Poland, in the you know, the Greater Warsaw area, the, the what used to be called the Kingdom of Poland, they, they, uh, the borders of that area were decided upon in the post-Napoleonic War era. There was a treaty in the Treaty of Vienna, and um, I'm sorry, the Congress of Vienna, excuse me, and uh, at the Vienna Congress, following the Napoleonic Wars, they decided on, one of the many, many things they decided on was the borders of Poland. So since that area was decided upon at the Congress of Vienna, so it was called Congress Poland after the Congress of Vienna. Random fact, let's get back to the point. So when we're in the area of central Poland where the largest 
uh, Hasidic groups were before the war. So most of them are are from the Pshischa Kutsk tradition, and they're not the type to build Achnasus Archims today. They're very, very cold welcome when you come there. At the place like Pshischa, you have to like hike into the forest, and and you get there, and it's this old brick brick building where inside there's the kvarim and that's it. There's no coffee, no mikvah, no nothing. And it's very depressing on one hand. Um, it's almost like going to Litvishikever, but which we do also. But you know, you just you know, you go to the places even if it's not as welcoming. So in the middle of all that, you have Radomsk, which does not come from Pshischa and Kutsk. And there it's almost like being in Galicia again. There's a nice Achnasasarchim and it's so welcoming. Get a cup of hot coffee before you go to the kever. You can go to the, you know, go to the mikveh if you want. So it's a different experience, and and the the um, and that gives us a inkling. The reason I'm going at such lengths to describe it, besides for the fact that I always like talking about my trips. That's that's a side point. But one of the is that because it gives us an inkling is how Radomsk is a bit unique in that area of Poland, and it really. Um, is is has a different message um, for Polish Hasidic Jewry. So, you know the the um, the Divrei Chaim of Tzanz, Chaim Tzanzer, who was again in Galicia, probably the greatest Rebbe in Tzadik and Paisik and a lot of things, um, one of the great Torah leaders in Galicia um, during his time. He recommended that people go. To Radomsk, to to Ferris Shloima, Radomsk is kever because the keys to Parnassa are in Radomsk. That's how he said it. So it's a special place. It's a really, um, it's 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 one of the, one of the one of my personal favorite places to go to, especially the last few years. That there's this very popular Avraham Fried song that um, was the words are of the Radomsk Rebbe's Rebbe, Rameir of Apta, the Orla Shemayim. And the Radomsker, the Tavar Shloima used to say or sing to a different tune, not Tavar Fried's tune, but he would say those. He would say that feel. He would pray that 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 whatever the whole thing. I don't know by heart. Um, he would say it every single day. And Radomsk it became almost like you know part of their religion. And uh, you know, last few years it was composed to a very nice uh, tune and. Uh, and is sung. So, you know, really it belongs to the Radoms tradition. It comes from the predecessor of Radoms, the mayor of Apta. In any event, so it's interesting that Radomsk is not such a well-known Hasidus. And today it almost doesn't exist because before the war, it was, it was huge. It was one of the largest Hasiduses in the world. It was the, this dynasty was, was massive and its influence was very large over it, over Poland, and it was one of the most important and central uh, groups of of uh, Hasidim in Poland before the war. And you have to th- remember that in the pre-war era, the world of Hasidus is in Poland. Uh, Ukraine is already behind the Iron Curtain. Hungary is quite small and hasn't really. Uh, it's only in the post-war era that Hungarian Hasidus reaches its full glory. But in the pre-war, it's in Poland, in Galicia, and re- and regular Poland, and there's what's known as the big three of Poland, um, Ger, Alexander, and Radomsk. And Ger existed, hey, although nothing close to the size of what it was before the war. 
Alexander and Radoms don't exist at all, pretty much, very small, very small level. Um, and it just uh, is testimony to the absolute decimation of Polish Jewry that the Nazis were successful in completely wiping out. And we love to talk about how the world after the war was rebuilt, but we, we tend to exaggerate it a bit. And most of it was not rebuilt and um, was completely lost. So let's just at least hear a little bit about it. What, what it was and what was lost, and so we could gain a little bit from that glory of the pre-war. Now, a, uh, on every trip, it always breaks out. Whenever I say the big three and the sizes of these Hasidists, there's always some wise guy who thinks he knows uh, a, a little too much statistics than is possible to know. And he says, well, really, you're saying it was the big three, but really either Ger, Alexander, or Adamsk, whatever his favorite one is, was the biggest one of those three. It's impossible to know which one of the three was the biggest. We don't have accurate demographics like that, and it's it's nearly impossible to find out. We do know that those three were the biggest in the world. All three were in Poland, not far from each other. And um, by far to the other Hasidim. I mean, the, the other Hasidists of Galicia, which were the closest in size, like Bells or Chartkiv, were not nearly as big as the big three in uh, in Poland. So... So the the Radomsk is a huge Hasidist. So then the we'll talk a little bit about how it came about and how it developed and uh, and then eventually how it was destroyed. The, like I said, the mayor of Apta, who was one of the closest, he, his, his sefer that he's known to posterity, it's not his sefer, it was written after he died and his, his, his students put it together, but he was known as the Orla Shemaim of Apta. Our mayor of Apta is not related to the Apta of Ramishu Heschel. No relation. They just happen to have been the rabbi in the same town. Or the Apta of Ramishu Heschel of Apta uh, subsequently moved to Mezhebizh, where he's buried. The mayor of Apta came along at a later time and was a Rav and a Rebbe in the same town of Apta in Galicia. Now, the mayor of Apta is one of the closest students of the Chayza of Lublin. And in a certain way, he, and the Chazid of Lublin had many, many famous Hasidim. He was called the Rebbe's Rebbe. He was a Rebbe of most of the Hasidim, of his, uh, of, of the, most of the Tzadikim of his time. Um, but in a certain way, Rameir of Abdu was a continuation of the legacy of the Chazid, a which I'll elaborate on soon. Now, the, the Lelav, a Rebbe of David of Lelav, who was a very close Talmud of the Naim Ali Melech, also was a Rebbe of the Teferis Shleima of Radomsk, Rabbi Shleima Rabinovich, Rabbi Shleima HaKoyhein Rabinovich was the first Rebbe of Radomsk, he's known as the Teferis Shleima after the Sefer that, uh, that bears his name, and he, and he was a student both of the Arla Shemayim of Apta and Rabbi David of Lelav. Rabbi David of Lelav we would call today a recruiter. He would travel around Poland and he would seek out the best and the brightest and he would recruit them to Hasidus. He would bring them to Lezhensk, he would later bring them to Lublin, to the Chayze, and he recruited many, many of the best and the brightest young men of Poland to the ranks of Hasidus. And he was very uh, successful in these endeavors and one of the people who he discovered was Tiferes Shleim, he discovered many other famous ones, he was involved in, in Pshischa and Kotsk as well, and uh, in Varka, and he, and he, and, and uh, the Tiferes Shleim becomes a Talmud of Rameir of Apta. Now he, 
is a big, big Talmud Chacham and a Paisek Halacha. He becomes the rabbi in Radomsk. He's hired as a communal rabbi. He's not a rebbe. His own rabbeim are still alive at this point. And he continues going to his rebbe's. Eventually his rebbe's die. And he continues. he's a communal rabbi. He happens to be a Hasidic communal rabbi. But at this point, it's the mid-1800s, there are many Hasidic communal rabbis. Hasidism had long become a mass movement and had taken over large swaths of territory of Galicia, Poland, and the Ukraine, and therefore, and white Russia, Belarus of today, and therefore it was, it was common for very many communities to hire a rabbi who happened to be Hasidic. So there's nothing strange in the meantime. He's a Talmud Chacham, he's a Paisik, he's a communal rabbi, he is not a rabbi. There's pressure on him over the years to become a Rebbe, and this increases with the deaths of several of the greatest Rebbes of Poland at the time. In 1843, Rabbi Sacher Ber of Radoshitz, Radoshitz was also a big, very large Polish Hasidus, important Polish Hasidus that's also forgotten, also completely wiped down. Last Radoshitz Rebbe was actually killed by the Nazis, like the last Radomska Rebbe also. And he, this first uh, Radoshitz Rebbe, Rabbi Sacher Ber, was known as the Saba Kadisha of Radoshitz. He dies five years later in 1848, Rabbi Yitzchak of passes on. And two years later in 1850, Rabbi of Lelov, who was Rabbi David Lelov's son, moves to Eretz Yisrael, which is a great story in itself because he's pretty much the first Rebbe of a large court of Hasidim to move to Eretz Yisrael. Until then, there had been big tzaddikim who moved to Tzvas, to Tveria, some of them even with small groups of Hasidim, especially at the end of the 18th century. But here is one of the leading rebbes of Poland who at the end of his life tells his Hasidim to stay. He doesn't tell them to stay. He says, you don't have to come with me. I'm not schlepping you along. I want to live out the end of my life in Eretz Yisrael. And he moves to Eretz Yisrael, which is also an interesting story about how Lelov, till today, is identified as a Yerushalmi Hasidist. Its roots are in Poland, and it becomes Yerushalmi Hasidus because it's one of the first Hasidus and, and Rebbes to move to Yerushalayim. In any event, these, these big change in leadership. Uh, and, and, uh, and not only that, but Rav Maishev Lelov, before he moves there to Israel, Hasidim say to him, where, where should we turn to? And he says, go to Radomsk. Now, geographically, it also makes sense. Lelov is not far from Radomsk. Usually, we do both of them on the same day on our trips. And, uh, and if we're going from south to north, it's even more exciting because if we're going from Lelov to Radomsk, I tell the group, we're going on the exact route that Rav Meishev Lelov told us to go before he moved to Eretz Yisrael. We're going to Radomsk from Lelov. So the Radomska becomes a rabbi with all this pressure, with all this leadership void and a vacuum. So after he had been the rabbi for quite a few years, he in addition takes on the role of, of, of the rabbi. So he, he is a very popular, becomes a very large Hasidus very quickly. It's a very inclusive uh, Hasidus. And again, and again, this is in some ways the true continuation of the Chayz of Lublin and of Mayor of Abtadar Lashemayim and of David Lelov. It's a certain, in, the, in that area of Poland, there's a certain counterbalance to Pshischa. It's a counterweight, counterbalance, however you want to say it. Pshischa is a more... Pshischa, which is Kotsk and Ger and all that, you know, that area, which is the same general area, very 
intellectual in a way, a bit elitist, um, a little cold. Radomsk is, is the opposite. It's very inclusive, very um, warm. He continues the philosophy of Rameir of Abdon the Chayzev Lublin, that the purpose of the tzaddik, the purpose of the Rebbe, is to bring material benefit to the Hasidim. That's one of the reasons that the Divri Chaim said that Parnasa is to be found in Radomsk. He feels that the Rebbe's job is to bring down, he's the downtrodden, to bring down the Shefa, bring down the material gain uh, for the Hasidim in order to lift them up. And once you're able to lift them up, this brings them closer to both the Tzaddik, brings them closer to Hashem, and then you're able to influence them in a spiritual way as well. But first you have to provide for their needs. And the role of the Tzaddik becomes a central role because he is the one who has already reached a certain level of spirituality, of purity, and he is able to connect the Hasidim to help them connect to Hashem, and he's able to also bring down that material benefit, that material gain, the parnasa, the health, the children, and everything else that they need. He was a very, um, very, again, like I said, with the people, very uh, warm, very modest. He was once a guest by someone, and the host honored the Radomsky Rebbe to to wash his hands first, to, to do whatever it was first, to begin the meal, to do it before before anyone else. And the Radomsky says to him that it says in the Gemara, it says in Chazal, Kol balhabayis asei chutz mitzei. Anything that the Balabayas, anything that your host tells you to do, you should follow his directive. Unless he tells you to say, unless he tells you get out, then you don't have to listen. So he says, you're trying to give me cover, you're trying to honor me. And the Mishnah in Pirkei Avis says that kina, taiva, and covet is mitzi ha'adam and ha'ilam. Jealousy, and taiva, you know, being too connected to materialism, and running after materialism, as well as covet, as chasing honor and respect, is mitzi ha'adam and ha'ilam, take someone out of the world. So you're telling me say you're trying to give me covet, you're giving me say you're trying to tell me to get out, so I refuse, I don't have to listen to you, uh, um, even though you're the host, even though you're the balabais. Now, the Tefer Shleimah was a Kayan, and he, like the other tzaddikim and other chassidim of his day, wanted very much to go daven at the kever of the Noyim Elimelech, like everyone was until today. It's a very, you know, it's always a highlight of all our trips, and sometimes we go there on the yard site of Chafala Father when there's tens of thousands of people who go, very popular destination of people to go daven in Lezhensk, so, so he wanted to daven there, and he's a Kayan, he can't. So the Radomsker himself goes ahead and takes the trouble to build the Oihel, oh, the original one, today it's obviously a rebuilt one, it, it was destroyed, but he builds the original Oihel on the Naim Elimelech with a special path that, uh, that Kayanim could go on, which also we don't have today, Kayanim cannot go to the Naim Elimelech, uh, all the way up to the, to the cover. And this enabled him to go daven by the Naim Elimelech, and enabled Kayanim to go, and he built the oil. He's the one who was responsible for building the oil on the Naim Elimelech. Now, interestingly enough, even though the Naim Elimelech's oil was destroyed in the war, and every other oil of every Rebbe in Poland and Ukraine and everywhere else was destroyed in the war, the Teferis Shleimah's oil in Radomsk, which is the oil 
the the over all the rebbers of Radom, except for the last one, is buried in Warsaw. The Nazis killed him. But the Tiferet Shalom, his own oil was the only one, to the best of our knowledge, that was not destroyed during the war by the Nazis or the communists. And it remained. Today it's been expanded, but the original structure is there. And uh, they say that it's the merit that he built the oil in Lezhensk, so his own oil was saved in the war. Now when he dies, it's a very auspicious, auspicious time, because... It's, he's the third to pass on within a month of the three, probably the three greatest tzaddikim living at his time. Uh, three weeks before that, the Tzemach Tzedek, Rabbi Nachman Mendel III, Rebbe of Chabad, had passed away, who was a tremendous leader, fascinating person. And the same week that the, that the Radomsker died, the Chidush Harim of Ger, the greatest leader of Polish Hasidus, had also passed on. He had passed away earlier in the week. And on Friday, that same week, uh, the Radomsker, the Tiferet Shleima, died also. So within three weeks, the world of Hasidus was hit. Probably the greatest, um, in the closeness of it, the three greatest leaders of Hasidus at that time all died within three weeks of each other. This is in 1866. And in Adar of 1866, and uh, the Tfer Shleim was famous as a chazan. He was a chazan in Apta. And he was a Balmanagan. He composed many beautiful songs. And they said that he died that Friday because the Chidush Harim died earlier the week. And the Chidush Harim was the biggest Talmud Chacham in Poland at the time. He was known in his youth as the Varshaver Ilui, the great genius of Warsaw, huge Talmud Chacham. And if he's going up to heaven, then everyone's going to come to hear a shir that coming Shabbos from the Chidush Harim. So if the Chidush Harim is giving shir and everyone's going to be there, then they need, a, they need a good chazin to have a beautiful Kabbalah Shabbos up in heaven. And that's why they took the Radomsker that week as well. So the, the, um, the Radomsker dies. His son, Rav Rami Socher Ber, the Chesed Lavrom, becomes the Radomsker Rebbe. And he expands the Hasidus, um, his son, when he dies, the Knesset Yecheskel, Rabbi Cheskel Rabinovich, um, becomes the Rebbe. Both of them die young. Um, the diabetes ran in the family, and there was no insulin in those days. And a lot of the Radomskers died young. Um, in fact, the last Rebbe had the best chance of living to an old age, because by his time, there already was insulin. And he also had diabetes. And then the Nazis killed him. So then you have none of the Radomsky Rebbe's lived to old age. Um, most of them because of diabetes. And the last one who had insulin is because of the Nazis. Now, interestingly enough, the Radomskers, even though they, one son became the Rebbe, but the brothers of each Rebbe got positions in the town. Remember that the original one was also the rabbi. So one brother would become the rabbi of the town. The other brother would become the Avbezdin. And it stayed in the family. There was... Doesn't seem to have been any fights also. And, um, and, and it stays on until we get to the last Rebbe. So the last Rebbe was Rabbi Shloyme Chanoich, um, named after his, his great-grandfather. He it was a, a very wealthy businessman. And he uh, moves to Sosnovich. He leaves Radomsk. And he, after World War I, he goes through a change and he recognizes that the collapse of communal life and religious life and traditional life after World War I 
it requires new methods in education. And therefore, this great Rebbe, who has tens of thousands of Hasidim, maybe hundreds of thousands of Hasidim, decides to invest in education, and he opens up a yeshiva network called Kesser Torah, which being that he's a wealthy businessman at the same time, he funds this yeshiva network from his own personal funding. And he eventually grows the, a, a brand, a 30, over 36, at least 36 branches across Poland, there was close to 4,000 students. Again, these are Hasidic yeshivas. This rivals the size of the entire Litvish yeshiva world. The Litvish yeshiva world in the interwar period is between four and 5,000 students, which today, you know, we talk about how you know, large the yeshiva world was before the war. The Litvish yeshiva world was between four and 5,000. The Radomsky Rebbe himself had almost that amount of students in his yeshiva network. Um, not only if you want to, and if you want to annoy the Litvish yeshiva world even more, the main central yeshiva in Sosnovich was called the Yeshiva Gavoya. It wasn't called Beis Gavoya, but it's close enough. So, uh, so that was also used. That that uh, he saw that the Beis model, which uh, which was the local learning in the local shtibel, isn't working anymore. So uh, he he decided to open this yeshiva. Now, interesting. The Radomsker, the last Radomsker, Shleimah Chanoich Hakoyen, to the best of my knowledge, unless someone could correct me if I'm wrong, I couldn't find anywhere that he joined the Aguda. And uh, he doesn't seem to have had a major political ideology. He didn't have a lot to say about Zionism or Eretz Yisrael. He was someone who, again, like I said, a, a very populist image, the whole dynasty, dealing with the basic practical needs of the people, very pragmatic, you know, not getting involved in major politics, not getting involved in very big ideological positions, dealing with the basic day-to-day needs of the simple working-class Hasidim in Poland before the war. It's interesting that one of the only famous Radomski Hasidim to survive the war was Reb Besser, and he was a big Agudist. So I don't know, I, you know, he probably was not against Aguda, but uh, it's interesting. Anyways, he moves to, he escapes to Warsaw at the beginning of the war, and he's killed by the Nazis, actually shot dead in the streets of Warsaw. He's not deported by train to Treblinka. He's not brought to the gas chambers. He's killed, shot by an SS in the street of Warsaw. His Hasidim managed to give him a kvur. This is in the middle of the great Aktsi, in the middle of the great deportation of the Warsaw ghetto. And he gets a burial in the Warsaw Jewish Cemetery. We are able to go to his kever in the Warsaw Jewish Cemetery when we go with the groups to Warsaw. And um, he had an opportunity to escape. He said, I'm staying with my Hasidim. And I want to end off with a story. This is a Hasidus that did not survive the war. And it, uh, and it was destroyed. It was, come uh, on, you know, almost, almost nothing left of it today. And usually I wouldn't say a story from Shleim Kalbach because they're very hard to verify historically. Um, and he, you know, he added a lot of uh, legend and myth to his stories when he added for his uh, his educational purposes, and I respect that. But here I'm going to make, take an exception. I want to relate a story that Kalbach used to say over. There was a Radomsky Chassid in a barracks in some concentration camp, and it came Hanukkah time. And this Radomsky Chassid said over a Torah, a teaching, a Hasidic teaching from the last Radomsky Rebbe who had already been killed by the Nazis. 
when he said that the Beis Yosef has a famous question. Why is there eight nights of Hanukkah and not seven? The first night is not a miracle. And the Radomsky Rebbe said, the last Radomsky Rebbe said, because the first night is the most important night. More than all the other nights. Because when they lit that Kemenaira the first night, they were probably crying. They were probably brokenhearted. That this is the last time we're going to light the Menaira. Until who knows when we're going to get new oil. And it was a hev- with a heavy heart that they went ahead and they lit the Menaira that first night. And that's something that we want to remember. That brokenness, that, that heaviness, that who knows when we're going to have the opportunity to do this mitzvah again, that we're commemorating the first night. So the Radomsky Chassid in the concentration camp, he says over this Torah from the Radomsky Rebbe, and he says, we have to make sure to light the candle the first night of Hanukkah because it's the most important. And they somehow put something together. The Nazis see it. They come in. They beat him. And, uh, but the light still burns. They didn't put out this light. And the way, you know, Shlomo Kalbach says it over, he says, and they went ahead and they, you looked to the second night and the third night and this light burned for all eight nights. I swear to you, this is what happened. Is the story true? Is the story not true? And of course, I said it with much less drama, and I didn't even have a guitar in the background. But is the basic story true or not? I don't know. It's hard to know. It could be that the Torah is true, the Vart of the Radomsky Rebbe. It could be that there was a Radomsky Chassid who tried lighting the Menorah in the barracks. Did that light last for eight nights? I highly doubt it. It's unlikely. It's unlikely that it lasted more than a few minutes. But you know what's important about that story is that the people repeating this story believed that they had seen that it was lit for eight nights. And that's important because that's what gave them strength. That's what kept them going. And this is the warmth and the light that lit up their lives during those dark times. And when people want to recall those dark times afterwards and draw inspiration from it. And that cultural and social effect is just as important to history as to whether the actual story took place. See, if you understood what I just said, then you probably understand what the essence of the human spirit was during the Holocaust. And even more importantly, you probably understand what Hasidus is. Because Hasidus is all about that message, about trying to see what we can draw out of, what we can use to be a goad for growth. And that's just a taste of Radomsk. So this was Yehuda Geberer with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com. For questions, comments, sources, and tours and trips, subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. And you can follow us on Twitter at jsoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.